At the beginning of human history, and yes, I am aware this is supposed to be 10 to 12 minutes long, Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God, seemingly without issue, until they sinned against him. And when this happened, God's response was to remove them from the garden and bar them from the tree of life and his presence. And mankind's relationship with God since that point in time has never, ever been the same. Since that time, though, the entire story of the Bible, the story that you have in your laps, written over thousands of years, multiple books, multiple authors, the entire story of that Bible is about God's effort to bring mankind back to that Edenic relationship with him where we can dwell in his presence. Sometimes I think we can forget about this. Um, we, we forget what we are actually striving towards. We have names for it like the kingdom of God or the return of Christ, but we forget that all of those things are the culmination of this awesome story of coming back into God's presence that we were barred from all that time ago at the Garden of Eden. And if we don't have this storied view of the Bible, if we don't have this view of God's presence is what we're striving to get back to, then there's a lot in the Bible we might miss. We might miss certain things that the stories are trying to tell us. We might miss our place in that story. And we might miss some of the danger that we're in if we don't understand this whole premise. But from this moment on, at the Garden of Eden, once that entry was barred, God started looking for righteous men to lead people to follow him and obey. He wanted people that could lead the rest of mankind back to him. He called Noah, and in this he destroyed every other person, so Noah would have no other uh, choice but to follow God, basically, right? There was nothing for Noah to look to, to follow instead of God. There was just God and Noah and his family. But still, the line of Noah did not remain righteous. Then God called Abraham, and he left all of evil mankind there and said, I'm going to call Abraham out of that world, and I'll leave them as an example to him so he can see just how heinous that way of life really is and how good my way of life is. So he gave him kind of the two views of the ways he could follow. And still, the line of Abraham did not remain righteous. Then God called Moses decided to bring him up in the midst of evil Egypt. Third time's the charm, right? This time it would work. And it seemed like it could from birth. Moses was chosen as a deliverer, one who would draw out Israel from Egypt and bring them back to God. He was a good man. He was intelligent. God spoke with him, and despite his shortcomings, he was an overcomer. Surely, this man was who the people needed to draw them to God. Surely, if God were going to dwell with mankind again, which was the dream of mankind since that time in Eden when they were barred entry from the garden, this was the man to lead them to that, right? He facilitated God's plagues in Egypt. He led them out of the land, through the sea, right to the mountain where God was. He communicated God's law to them. He instructed them on how God wanted them to live. All of this still left one question, though, in the minds of ancient, ancient Israel. And that question was, what kind of man may dwell in the presence of God? Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? 
who may dwell with him. That's what they wanted, to get back to that time where God and mankind could live together. That's the story that they were living. Moses had ascended the mountain where God was, but this was still a far cry from reconciliation between God and his people. So finally, God instructed the people to build a tabernacle so they could live, so that he could live amongst them on their journeyings. They built it. They came up with all these materials and put it together. They understood the ritual practices they were supposed to go, go through so that God could come and dwell with them. They went through the cleansings. Thousands of years had passed since God had dwelt with mankind, and this time was finally building to a crescendo. And then God would dwell with mankind once more. How exciting would that be? But there was one problem, something that just left them short of their realized goal. Turn with me to Exodus 40, if you will. Exodus chapter 40, right at the end of that book, leading into Leviticus, is kind of the general section that we'll be in today. Exodus 40, we'll start reading in verse 34. Verse 34 of, verse four, of chapter 40, it says, Then... After all this time, after everything God's people had waited for to get back to dwelling with him, it says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses, who ascended the mountain, who saw God's back, who received the law, who led the people, who was good and just and wise, could not enter the tabernacle where God's glory was. And if Moses was unworthy to enter, what hope did the people have? What hope did this people, this same people who had just recently slipped up and worshipped a golden calf idol to a foreign god, what hope did they have of dwelling with God, if even Moses couldn't enter in. As the story goes on, we see that God sets up a priesthood and a series of, of rituals of cleansing where only the high priest was allowed into the presence of God one day out of the entire year. So this is not exactly the dream realized. This is not exactly how they saw this being fulfilled. But God's presence is still in the camp, Right? This is something closer. They can see the pillar. They knew that he was there with them. So I would imagine there's this time of, of mixed emotion, right? Of extreme celebration and also questioning. Why is this not exactly like we thought it would be? Is this the fulfillment of what we were waiting for all this time? But I would imagine after a while they started to feel, okay, he's here. This should be smooth sailing. Well, turn with me to Leviticus 10. Leviticus 10, and we'll read uh, just the first three verses there. Because it was not smooth sailing. It did not go very well. They had all this ramped up energy, this heightened uh, culmination to the story that they were trying to live, right? They were finally going to be dwelling in the presence of God. The glory of God descended on the tabernacle. What an amazing sight that would have been. And then Moses isn't allowed in. But still, they're excited. God is here with us. 
Leviticus 10, verse 1 says this, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. Most scholars believe, based on the fact that they were carrying censers of incense, that they were coming near to God, as it says, that in Leviticus 16, where it goes over the Day of Atonement practice, it mentions this story here, that Nadab and Abihu were attempting to enter into the Holy of Holies where God's presence was. It wasn't, they, were just, they were not just going into the temple and doing something wrong. They were the manner in which they were entering that temple and the depth at which they were looking to go into it was wrong in and of itself. They did not regard God's presence as holy or they esteemed themselves too highly or a mix of both. But overall, right, what an amazing time for Israel. Their dream, at least partially, of going back to the time of Eden is here. God's with them. How much celebration there must have been. Feasts, sacrifices, offerings, celebrations. The glory of the eternal God descended on the tabernacle that they built, and it must have looked awesome. Only to find out that Moses couldn't enter. Okay, that, that tempers it just a little bit. But then, okay, we have a priesthood. We can go in, right? We can still at least talk with God through a mediator. That's something. The excitement builds again. Then Nadab, Nadab and Abihu go in and are killed. That tempers the excitement again. What are they supposed to do? Excited? Fearful? What are they supposed to be here? It wasn't everything they had hoped for, but it was still a lot. And I think the people of Israel were excited. I think they were still more in a celebratory mood than anything because they continued to keep the feast. They continued to worship God in the way that he laid out for them for a while. The overall mood was excitement, but they forgot, in the words of C.S. Lewis about the lion Aslan and the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, God was good, but he was not safe. You do not approach him lightly. Like a man swimming in the ocean to cool off, but forgetting that the ocean has sharks. This is what they were doing. The presence of God is an incredible blessing as well as a terrible danger to those who do not, as it says in the verse that we just read in Leviticus, regard him as holy and glorify him. We are living today in the exact same story that the people of ancient Israel were living. The difference is that now we are the temple of God with God's presence dwelling inside of us. We cannot get any closer until the time of Christ's return and God comes to this earth to dwell with mankind eternally. The question I have for us today is, do we celebrate the blessing of dwelling with God this closely as ancient Israel should have? And do we appropriately appreciate the danger, the potential danger that we are in, we who are unrighteous, who by all rights should be dead by being this near to him? If an ancient Israelite who witnessed the descending of the glory of God on the tabernacle were to understand fully that we have that glory of God within us, they would have backed up 30 feet, thrown their shoes to the ground, and been terrified and jealous all at the same time. And that's a reality that we get to live every single day, and we walk around as if it's nothing. When we understand the story of what ancient Israel was looking forward to, and what we should still be looking forward to, 
in the coming of Christ and the fullness of what all that pictures of God coming to be with mankind as it was intended from the beginning, we should appreciate the story that we're in. We should gain a new appreciation for the situation that we're in. When that man in the ocean realizes that he is surrounded by sharks, when he is no longer oblivious to the danger, he does what needs to be done in order to be safe. He swims to shore. To be safe in the presence of God, though, we have to do the opposite. We have to actually draw closer to him. We push towards the danger, conforming ourselves more and more to his image. And the closer we become to his image, the safer it is for us. What an incredible reality that we get to live with the, the presence of God with us at all times. Let's not take it for granted. Let's appreciate it and appropriately fear the presence that he has with us today.